Uh, so I was going to say, Mike Walker was my uh, first youth pastor when I, when I came to faith. So um, there's some connection. This is my first time in the church, but there's some connection for me um, by Mike. And it was actually in that church um, that I asked, um, I asked a woman in the church, why is this church called a Baptist church? And um, she said to me, well, I think we're Baptists um, because we follow John the Baptist and we don't drink. So, um, okay. Uh, <laughs> a few years on, it's kind of like a year-nah scenario. Um, and so it's nice to be able to participate with you in this series on, on, on being Baptist and to think about Baptist and discipleship. Now, of course, um, like you, I think a good church is a good church is a good church, right? Like, it doesn't matter what stripe the church is, a good church is a good church. What I'm interested in thinking about this morning is, what, what are some of the distinctives for Baptists, um, particularly around this, this theme um, of discipleship? So let's pray. May the words from the past come alive in the present, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Um, if I can have the PowerPoint up, would be great. This photo up here um, is a photograph of the church at Napier Baptist Church, um, where I was pastor for a number of years. Um, and for me, it was an incredibly formative um, time, and and... Actually, I looked at this photo as I was preparing for today, and I thought of Lucy in her first pastorate. And you know, I'm very grateful to be invited, Lucy, to be with you. We're very proud of Lucy at Kerry, and and I'm sure you're getting to see why. But this was this was the church that we pastored, that I pastored with my wife, and and one of our daughters was born in Napier, and it just had a real impression on you. You know, we were in our mid twenties when when we began there, and and so I put it up there to think, when we think of Baptist churches, I think we're talking about not just the church in general, but these people, these particular people in this particular church that we do life with. That's, I think, the context for understanding Baptists um, and discipleship to begin with. Um, there was a, um, if we could have the next slide, the... Um, there's a famous story of um, Dirk Willems, not a Baptist, but an Anabaptist, from this kind of Baptistic tradition. And Dirk Willems, um, during a period where Anabaptists and Baptists were, were severely persecuted, he was captured um, for upholding this idea that people should be baptized as disciples, and um, that it's a disciple's baptism. And so he was captured by the authorities, and he was put into prison. And the rations in prison were very poor, and he lost a huge amount of weight and was able to escape through the bars of the prison. And there was a big moat that surrounded the prison, and Willems was, uh, went down the, the side of the castle and out across the lake, and it was the middle of winter, so it was frozen. He was running away from the guard uh, who was taking chase for him across this lake. And Willems being quite light because of the church rations, um, uh, because of the, sorry, the prison rations, rations <laughs> some similarities there. Um, <laughs> Although potlucks and Baptist churches are a thing, right? Um, <laughs> so he was taking flight across this ice, and the guard, who's a little heavier, took chase. And the ice began to break, and the guard 
fell through the ice. Now, Willems at that point had the option. He can continue running across the ice to his freedom, and he'll be on the run, but at least he's free. Or he can return, pull the guard out of the lake, where he would absolutely be taken back into custody and killed. And so Willems chose to turn around because Jesus said to love your enemies and do good to those who hate you, took the guard out of the ice, was returned to the prison, and there he was killed. This conviction, I think, that's so central to the Baptistic tradition of radical discipleship, no matter what the cost, we're to follow in the ways of Christ. That has shaped the Baptist tradition from its beginnings. And it's the heart of this, com- this community that's committed to the kingdom of God, whatever the cost, to see God's kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Um, there are, of course, um, some distinctives about Baptists um, that you m- maybe you are aware of them. Things like authority of Scripture, the priesthood of all believers, believers' church, believers' baptism, the freedom of the local church, the freedom of conscience, the freedom of the church from state. Now, actually, Baptists share these ideas with lots of other churches. Um, that's not, we're not alone in thinking many of those ideas. Um, but what I think gives Baptists their distinctive flavor is the way we hold them together. The way we hold those things together, and particularly in relationship with discipleship. They come together in a particular way of living together under the rule of Christ. Christ is Lord and he rules over the local church. And it's with these local people that we work out our faith with fear and trembling. And we work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Uh, that's at the central heart of what it means. There's a dynamic, a Baptist dynamic, a way of being together under God um, that shapes the nature and understanding of, of, of Baptist life. Um, Baptists had this idea of being um, a covenant community, committed to God and one another, and they believed deeply that when they gathered together like this, like we are this morning, that the words of Jesus in Matthew 18 were very real and true, that when two or three gather together, I am there among them. Not I might be or that I could be, but I am, very direct words, there among them. And all authority is given from heaven and earth to bind and loose. And so the Church, the Baptist churches believe they did not need church authorities to make decisions, but that the gathered community could walk in the ways of the Lord and figure that out for themselves. No need for paid clergy to be the only ruler. Now, there was certainly paid clergy, but there was no need for them to have the authority, nor some distant church hierarchy. It was the local community, committed to God and committed to one another. And in these days, um, we think very little of that. It's not a big deal. In the 16th century and in the 17th century, that was a big deal. Um, And there was a lot at stake. And so Baptists, by holding to this, were kind of disruptors. They were kind of troublemakers of their day. Um, People, uh, the church authorities said, it's fine, you want to be baptized. You don't want children baptized or you you want disciples to be baptized, fine. So they bound them and tied them and threw them in the river and said, be baptized then. Um, And there were, um, hopefully the next slide, there were those who were heresy hunters, who found these Baptist weirdos up to no good. Um, Thomas Edwards was a heresy hunter for the king. 
and he wrote a book called Gangrenea, um, from which we get our word gangrenous. So that's, if you want to understand Baptist discipleship, it's this gangrenous stuff, right, that you guys are up to. Um, he said in his book, um, among all the confusion and disorder, this is to the king, in church matters, both of opinions and practices, and particularly of all sorts of mechanics, taking upon them to preach and baptize. Well, um, I'm a former mechanic, so, so I, take, I smirk a little um, when I see that Baptists were charged of allowing mechanics, unqualified, untrained mechanics to get into the pulpit. Um, so I do smirk a little. As smiths or blacksmiths, weavers, uh, tailors, shoemakers, peddlers, and there are also some woman preachers who kept constant lectures, preaching weekly to many men and women. Um, this gangrenous bunch spreading their kind of gangrenea throughout society. Um, and the next one, um, again, Thomas Edwards, they hold that it is lawful for women to preach. And why would they not? Having gifts as well as men. And some of them do actually preach, having great resort to them. Um, Baptists were troublemakers. They were stirrers for the gospel. They were willing to mix things up, ask questions and demand even more radical discipleship. Who said that it's just the paid clergy who should be in the pulpit? Why not a mechanic? Why not woman? Who says? And so Baptists mix things up. Now, in our day, that's no big deal. But in their day, that was a very big deal, worthy of imprisonment and worthy of death. Um, so the next one down, there was this book written, A Discovery of Six Women Preachers in Middlesex, these prophetesses. Um, and they say in the book, um, in ancient times have I read of prophetesses, but not until of late heard of women preachers. Their only reason or cause of preaching was that there was a deficiency of good men. Therefore, it was, it was fit that virtuous women supply their places. Um, now, of course, this didn't go well down and well with some of those who had certain expectations about the nature of the church and so on. So the next one, um, we hear from Anne Wentworth, one of these prophetesses. She says, I am reproached as a proud, wicked, deceived, deluded, lying woman, a mad, melancholy, crack-brained, self-willed, conceited fool, and a black sinner led by whimsies, notions, and niff-naffs of my own head. Um, now, <laughs> um, unfortunately, some of those ideas haven't just stayed in the 17th century. Um, nonetheless, Baptists were at the edge of pushing some boundaries. That discipleship isn't just an individual thing, it's a community thing. It's something we do together. We walk in the ways of the Lord, and we watch over one another in love. It's, a, it's, a, it's an us thing, not just an I thing. And it was forming groups of disciples who gave witness to God's kingdom and grace in their common life. Now, some really did um, oppose this, and there were those who started in a gathering like this to try and infiltrate. They'd be the um, informants. Um, they'd be informants of the authorities, and they'd, they'd scatter themselves in amongst the churches to listen to who was preaching and then inform the sheriff who was preaching because it was illegal for Baptists to preach. Um, and then the authority, the sheriff would come and whip away these, these pastors or an elder or whoever was preaching, women were preaching, they'd be taken off, and, and particularly in England, taken to Newgate Prison. And Newgate was a terrible place to, to ever be imprisoned. Many Baptists died in, in Newgate Prison. 
So Baptists came up with, um, we know from um, on the next screen, some notes from the Broadmead Church um, in England. Baptists are good at making do, of, of iterating and making do. You know, we've been in lockdown and having to make do. Well, Baptists were regularly in lockdown um, and having to make do, right? Uh, so at Broadmead, what they did with these inf- informers, they decided, right, we need a curtain kind of near the near the back pews. We're going to have a curtain that drops down, and on the inside will only be friends of our community, people we know, who we know are not informers, and any visitors, they can join us, but they have to be beyond the curtain. They can hear, but they absolutely can't see who is preaching, and if and what we'll do is um, we know where the entrances are, so we'll block the entrances with a number of people, um, sisters and maids, it says up there, um, in the entrances to stop them being able to get in quickly. Because when the sheriff arrives with his authorities, we can whip the curtain down, the preacher can quickly sit down, and no one knows who it was that was preaching. There's kind of 50 of us on the inside, and those who are beyond the curtain got no idea. You know, Baptists were up to no good for the gospel. Um, other churches made trapdoors, where uh, there'd be, literally be a trapdoor under here, and you'd be whisked down away from the authorities, um, because it was deemed to be such a problem, this group of people that are so radically committed to this kingdom of God, when already we thought we had it figured in our institutions and organizations, Baptists said, no way. We're going to shake things up for the gospel. We're going to make some stuff happen. So many did face severe persecution, imprisonment, death. Uh, many, many women were drowned, um, their children left. Um, it was a horrendous time um, um, to be a, in the Radical Reformation. Um, why did Baptists do this? Well, they believe very deeply that the authority of the church does not reside in ecclesiastical institutions. It resides in this gathered community of disciples because Christ promises to be present when disciples gather together. And if Christ's authority is present, we don't need any other authority. That's what Baptists held to very strongly. And so there was this idea, um, if we can go down one more, in some churches that there was a covenant. Uh, you made a covenant, the individual with God, and then secondarily, if we push the next one, um, we made a covenant with one another. Baptists came up with this idea that no, those two things, the vertical covenant God makes with humanity is made real in the world when we covenant with one another, when we commit to walk together in the ways of the Lord and watch over one another in love. Um, so on the next one down, hopefully... This is the Gainsborough Covenant, the first Baptist covenant, that they join themselves by a covenant of the Lord into a church estate, into a church community. In the fellowship of the gospel, to walk in all his ways, made known or to be made known. You know, there's something about that, that, that Baptists would say things like, the Lord has yet more light to break forth from his word as we walk together as disciples. The walking together, we discover new things about God and God's mission and God's purposes in the world. Um, So made known unto them, according to their best endeavors, whatsoever it should cost them, the Lord assisting, and it cost them plenty. So it's this idea of walking together in the ways of the Lord, no matter what, and watching over one another in love, not just watching over to nitpick the other, but to watch over and walk with in love. 
that shapes this Baptist dynamic of discipleship, this way of being and being in community. And the belief that because Christ is present when we gather, there is no need for priests to be the only ones allowed to serve communion, like this morning. We can be priests to one another under Christ's royal priesthood. That's the idea. And that's what they got in trouble for. This idea that because Christ is present, the church is freed from all other rulers and authorities to live under the rule of Christ. This dynamic way of being in community. And so this idea of covenanting is where we get our modern idea of membership. Now, (laughs) um, sometimes membership can be a bit of a dry affair. Um, Let's be frank. Um, and it can be a bit of a dusty old book. It was at Napier that was hidden beneath a shelf that you'd dust off every now and then and um, extend the right hand of fellowship. In, in early times, it was this commitment to God and one another, to walk in the ways of the Lord and watch over one another in love. That's where we get our idea of this community of disciples committed to God and one another no matter what. And the belief that in this gathered life, We body forth, we display to the powers and principalities, like Paul says in Ephesians, God's redemptive purposes. The church is given the first fruits of the Spirit. And whilst we're not the whole movie, we are a trailer to God's movie. We are a trailer to God's redemptive purposes to the world. The church is meant to display what God intends the world to look like when Christ rules and reigns. That's the calling of the church. That's the commitment to this idea of a disciples community. Um, But in reality, of course, the church is often a community that you wouldn't be caught dead with on a Saturday night. Um, That's the reality. There's kind of all sorts of oddballs like me within the church. Um, But the good news is that the church is not of your choosing. (laughs) Paul tells us in, in 1 Corinthians 12, it's God who arranges the body. God elects those who God deems to be part of this community that displays God's universal purposes. So the hand doesn't get to say to the the foot, I have no need of you. Because God has so arranged the body. God shapes a body, a community of people who display God's purposes to the world. Now, we are a bunch of weirdos, frankly, in the church regularly. But God has arranged the body. But God is what Paul keeps saying in 1 Corinthians. It's not our choosing. We are called together from all kinds of backgrounds and all kinds of of, of ways of being. We are called together to body forth in the world God's purposes. If people want to know what God intends for the world, they're called to look to the church to display that forth. Not perfectly, because there is a yet-to-come aspect of it, but at least in anticipation. At least we anticipate God's purposes. And so it's this commitment to living radically under the rule of Christ. And how do we do that? What is the rule of Christ? How do we know what Christ's rule is? Well, We seek together. We seek God's will together through prayer and in worship and our committed lives together. We seek God together. Um, And so this is where we get our ideas of things like AGMs or church meetings. And we vote. Now, 
um, I know, I, th I think Lucy mentioned you've got an AGM coming up, um, to shake things up, voting is not absolutely fundamental in Baptist world. And that may kind of shake you up a little. Um, that's okay. Uh, voting, when it was first used in Baptist churches, was at a time when the richest 10% of society were given the vote for the first time. Westminster style, given to the royal, the, the, the gentrified males of society. And Baptists took that idea into their local church and they said, you know what, we're going to get to everyone. Women, children, you name it, everyone's got it, we're all going to vote. And so it was, a, it was an act to kind of this, this shaking things up a little that Baptists seemed to like to do. Today, where shareholder meetings or all kinds of, you know, Fonterra meetings or you name it, where voting is really normal, I wonder if we need to shake things up again. I wonder if there's a need to just shake it up a little. Um, because it's this belief, if we go down, um, we've already covered this text. Um, from Matthew 18, for where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there among them. If you go down one more. What voting is about is seeking Christ's will who promises to be present. No one knows the will of the Father except the Son. And those to whom the Son reveals it, right? So when we gather together, Christ promises He'll be there. So it's in the listening to one another to hear Christ's will. That's what we're up to at an AGM. We're not looking to hear what's the general consensus. Okay, there's 20%, 30% who don't like that. Well, suck it up, buttercup. That's not what we're up to. Um, we're not looking for a majority rule. We are looking for Christ's rule. And Christ often speaks from the margins. He often speaks from surprising places and through surprising people and in surprising ways. So I just wonder if we need to shake up this idea of majority voting. I'll leave that um, for Lucy to pick up the pieces. Um, <laughs> it's this dynamic way of being. And so for me, I mean, I was really... I, I was, Honestly, just thrilled to see the, our three national languages um, being used, particularly sign language. Um, we spent many years in a deaf home group um, with deaf Christians, and um, they were kind enough to gift me um, elements of their language. I'm not fluent, and I wouldn't um, assume I was. Um, but in that home group, the gift of deaf friendship, the gift of deaf difference and otherness brought out to me, um, A, the privilege of being hearing, you know, and not just the privilege of it, I mean the privilege that comes with that, the assumptions I bring to the room as a hearing person, that regularly read texts, you know, I, I tended to read New Testament texts that Jesus went around seeing these problematic people saying, oh, there's a deaf man, they need healing, heal them, uh, blind man over here, they, oh, they need healing, um, Gerasene, the demoniac, yep, that, that's a problem person, needs a bit of healing. Um, actually, when you read the text, Jesus never instigated any of those encounters, it's the, it's the crowds. It's the Gerasene demoniac that yells out at Jesus. Jesus isn't going around doing that. He's being drawn into these spaces. And in the, in the, deaf, in the healing of the deaf man, he takes him away from the majority hearing world and creates a new world, a third space, where Jesus actually doesn't speak. <laughs> but through bodily interactions and groans, Jesus interacts with the deaf man. And when the deaf man returns to the community, um, Jesus offers the gift of deafness, um, of deafs, of, you know, they say that, that 
sign language or, or deaf language is not just um, a, a body, uh, not just a language of the body, it's a body of language. And so Jesus says um, to the community, Shh, be silent. Yeah. Now, deaf know about silence, Shh, be silent. The gift of, of, of deaf otherness into the group. Be quiet. What does the, what does the community do? They can't shut up. Off they go, and they're quickly blurting stuff out. Well, there's something there <laughs> in this gift of the other in the community. When we seek together, it means that the core testimony often needs to be challenged by the counter-testimony, those amongst us who see it different. And God could well be speaking from the margin. God could well be speaking from those who are a counter-testimony to the core testimony. And it becomes a way in which we become more like Christ because the goal isn't, um, oh, hey, great. Um, I think of my dear friends, great, you're here in our hearing church. Um, now, our basic goal is for you to become like me. Or, you know, um, Marty, come into the church, great, you're here. Um, now, your goal is to become like me in an unchanged norm. But that's not the gospel. I'm not good news. The gospel is we're all to change to become more like Christ. This radical community of disciples given over to God and one another, committed to the, to the Lord and, watching over, and walking together in the ways of love. This is the Baptist, I think, understanding of discipleship. It's this way of being kind of on the way, this walking together, and in the fray. We encounter our difference and our different opinions, and that's not necessarily a problem if we learn for ways in which um, the core testimony and the counter-testimony can speak to one another. In the, in the Old Testament, there, there's a categorization of psalms in which there's psalms of orientation. Oh, Lord, you are great, and all is well. Thank you, Lord, for the blessing of Israel. Then there are those psalms that are disorientated psalms. Lord, um, I'm in the pit, and you put me here. Where are you? And then there's psalms of new orientation. Now, they are not a return to, the, to, to, to orientation. They're a new way of being that emerges from the pit. It takes the pit with, with it. I was in the pit, Lord, but you were there with me. Notice it doesn't leave the pit behind. It takes it with it. So this, this core testimony that's challenged by disorientation creates a new orientation, a new way of being. That's an invitation for the church and its life of discipleship, a way of being together in the world. Um, oh, I missed one. Sorry, I should have gone down one more. Um, John Smith, the, the, really the founder of Baptists, um, talking about the vote being given. Women, servants, and children admitted to full communion, yet underage might give voice in elections, excommunications, and other public affairs of the church. Yep. This gift of the vote to those who it shouldn't be expected from. This commitment to a different way of being. Um, and, and for Māori, the, the, there's this, um, a way of describing it as, uh, uh, within education at least, the word ako that teaching is both learning and teaching. You learn from as well as teach. It's not just a one-way sage on the stage who, who does a bit of chalk and talk. It's, it's actually this dynamic relationship in which we're all changed. Um, I'm teaching the book of Revelation at the moment. Um, I seem to gravitate towards trouble. And um, last time I, 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 I taught Revelation, Lucy, were you in that? No, it might have been after you graduated. Um, 
In the book of Revelation, we were talking about, look, it's, it's this uncivil worship. We haven't got time to get into this today, so feel free to bail me up or bail Lucy up later. Um, <laughs> um, um, but it challenges the Roman Empire, and it, and it calls the church to this uncivil worship. And so I had some students come to me and say, look, um, Māori students came, and, and they said to me, look, can we not write another essay? <laughs> we're kind of sick of writing essays. Um, could I design a haka as a form of uncivil worship? And um, this catches wind. And another says, oh, yeah, actually, I'd like to design a taiaha um, that, that gives forth this idea of faithful witness. And then the church catches, uh, the rest of the um, class ca- catches on. They say, um, someone says, oh, look, I'm involved in upcycling. What I'd like to do is design a wedding dress through upcycling to capture the image of the bride um, and the language that, that John uses about God destroying the destroyers of the earth. I want to... And in the end, there's like 12 or 13 students, all, none of them want to write essays, and to come up with these creative cultural artifacts. What a brilliant way that I learned. Yeah, this, this giving and receiving in relationship. Living under Christ's rule together as disciples on the way and in the fray is this dynamic way of being. It's actually an exciting way of being. Um, it's not just about signing your name on a member's book or putting your hand up in a voting. It's a way of being in relationship with God and one another that I think captures something of the gospel. You know, in lockdown recently, we've had to be creative. And um, I'm just stunned and slightly terrified that this is being streamed. And, um, but, you know, church is iterating, making do. Um, what a, that's it. That's the invitation. Respond together under God to what God's up to in different changed contexts. Baptists have lots of experience with lockdown and how to respond creatively. It's in, it's in our blood. It's in our DNA. So I think it's actually a great time to be Baptist. Great opportunity to iterate, to, to make do, both in the church and in society. And ideally, I hope you get up some people's noses in the church, and in society. Let's pray. God, you call us to be disciples, methetes, learners, and it's a calling that demands much of us. Um, We cannot do it by ourselves and ask for your Spirit to come and shape in us disciples a community of disciples here at Hamilton South Baptist and throughout this country, communities of disciples committed to you and your ways no matter what. And in this time, as we reconceive what church may be and iterate, can you, by your Spirit, uh, can your Spirit blow freshly amongst us, calling forth from us creativity, faithfulness, and courage for the sake of your Lordship and your Gospel. Amen.